0: Hi everyone, welcome back to The Early Education Show, we're up to episode 22. It's good to be back with you, I'm Liam.
1: I'm Lisa. And I'm Leanne.
0: So we'll crack right on with the news list, and um, we're just going to, there's been a fair bit of news over the last little while, but we're just going to talk about a couple of um, Couple of the big things that have hit the uh, hit the news over the last little week. So, um, obviously, we're recording this on Wednesday night. So, as well as being International Women's Day, it's also been uh, one of the biggest sort of strike actions for early childhood educators across Australia. But Lisa, do you want to tell us a bit about that one? Mm.
2: No, I think Leanne does,
0: actually. (laughs) We'd agree that Leanne was going to talk about that. (laughs) This is a good start. (laughs) Sorry, Leanne, after you.
1: That was the 10 minutes we spent organising ourselves before we started. (laughs) And and just a a point to note, um, Liam did offer to give up hosting of this show tonight in honour of uh, International Women's Day, but Lisa and I deferred to allow him to continue to host... So I just wanted to make mention of that. Thank you, Liam.
0: <laughs> Pleasure. I just wanted a night off. That's all right. I'll keep doing it.
1: Right. Well, uh, <laughs> good on you. Um, well, this, the, this, this is the one about the strike, which happened today. And I, it got fantastic media coverage all through the day. And I won't, I won't go into that, which was excellent. And uh, there was talk about dozens of childcare centres closing mid-afternoon uh, which was to highlight the gender gap in pay. Um, and I think that people walked off at about 3.20 in the afternoon, which represented the amount of time uh, that that they would have worked if they were receiving a an equal pay of, of a male, an average pay of a male. So they were working a shortened day. I thought that was a really fantastic way to represent the gender pay gap. Um, And obviously there is a a case at the moment um, which is, uh, you know, called a long-running wage case in the Fair Work Commission, Uh, but this was just a a bit of a a good opportunity on International Women's Day for people to um, show that there is still this gap and that it is still a highly uh, feminised, feminine and feminised workforce and that it does impact. And as we know, Early childhood educators are not paid enough, and uh, it does have to do with gender. And we'll talk more about that later.
0: Yeah, I think um, just hats off. I think this is a really fantastic action. I think, um, the, yeah, I, the, the, it's hard to go beyond more specifics than that. I think it's a, it, and it's, it's because the, the, the Fair Work case is currently um, the equal pay case is currently before Fair Work. I think it's in. I think the union uh, cleverly sort of just keeping this front of mind and. Um, one of the big problems with strike action has always been the low numbers of union membership, which I think we'll probably also talk about a bit later tonight. Um, but this is a really great way to still have the, the um, uh, I don't want to say tokenistic, it's not tokenistic, it's symbolic. And I think it's the symbolic action, which is, you know, centres closing early and, um, you know, working with supportive families and organisations to to sort of make that symbol. And, and they did a great, there was, you know, there was media all day today, they did a really good job. Hats off to um, the yeah. centres themselves and the union.
2: Mm. I I'd just really like to say it's amazing the media that they got, and just a shout out to Nada Vlatko, the national media officer at United Voice, because I think anyone that got that much media on a day when there's yeah. a lot of stuff about women's stuff happening anyway, that's amazing.
0: They did a good job, um, and then the other sort of big thing we wanted to touch on, we we noticed as we sort of um, went along this week and and late last week that there was there's been. A, a, Pretty good bunch of supportive articles in some pretty major newspapers talking about um, the importance of early childhood education. And I'm going to get this right, Leanne. Do you want to tell us a bit about a bit about <laughs> is that?
2: No, is that me again? <laughs>
0: <laughs> it it should be it's me. It's <laughs> Lisa. I'm just being silly yeah.
2: now. Okay, so there was two really, really good ones. The first one was in the um, uh, the Sydney Morning Herald, and it came first and that was written by um oh i can't remember and i'm desperately trying to get it caitlin caitlin fitzsimmons yeah that's right caitlin fitzsimmons um who is a finance writer for the herald so she's not one of these left-wing yes i support child care sort of people she's a you know a finance worker with finance qualifications etc and a finance journalist and um she just basically wrote this wonderful article about how you know taxpayers actually you know like it's cost effective to fund childcare, and we should really go and you know fund more of it. And so that's always nice, you know. So she's saying it's not middle class welfare; it actually works across the board. And um, she's used childcare and reckons it's pretty good value for money as well. Um, the other one came the next day later and um it was about instead of putting more money you know into schools that we actually should put it into early education and this was by pwc now pwc are one of the big four accounting firms um or consulting firms as i believe they call themselves now and um They've done some stuff on childcare before, but they said, you know, look, um, this is really important. Early education is where you get the biggest bang for your buck. you know, I'm sure I've used uh, that phrase before. So, um, you know, I think that it's pretty great that, you know, all these people on the business side, on the economy side are saying, look, if you want to do something really good, fund early education and fund it well.
1: And I, I like that a lot of the um, arguments that they're putting forward are the arguments that the sector's been putting forward for quite a while. Now, I don't have a problem with that. I think it's awesome to see them repeated and, and put out there by, um, by other sectors. It's just fantastic.
0: Yeah, and for those who listen to um, uh, to Frank Oberclade interviews, like he said, this you know early childhood funding should be the ultimate bipartisan issue. So you know if you're, um, you know labels aren't necessarily fantastic, but if you're on the left or progressive side of politics, the um, investment in in children and society is fantastic. And then if you're on the right or conservative side, that this is an investment in lower spending down the track. It's it, it's. It's becoming harder and harder, I think, for people to oppose um, additional investment in early childhood education. I think. Yeah, uh, I've
1: really got to put I'm their really... money where their mouth is.
0: Yeah, <laughs> well, that doesn't mean governments listening just because everyone's saying it. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll include um, we'll include links to a few articles that are around those uh, those two topics.
2: Can I, can I just very quickly, Liam, The, yeah. the absolute best line in Caitlin Fitzsimmons' article was. Personally, I believe in subsidising childcare for the simple fact that we live in a society and we pay our taxes towards the common good. And that just kind of really sums it up for me.
0: (laughs) It's not that complicated really, is it? No. All right, so yes, as I said, we'll, um, if you look in the show notes, we'll have a few, um, we'll link to a few articles around those two themes, but um, obviously, particularly if you know if, if you're an educator, I'd really recommend finding um some of the uh, fantastic news, uh, some of the video news stories about video TV, you know, TV news stories about the the Big Steps action um, on Wednesday because they, they they did a fantastic job, and it's great to see educators standing up, um, yeah, and demanding a better deal on that stuff. we're going to move on to our main topic for tonight. So um, uh, as we're recording this on Wednesday, it's International Women's Day. So we thought we'd we'd sort of have a look and um, I guess just ask the question why International Women's Day matters in the early childhood education sector. Um, I think we probably all agree it does, but we're going to have a bit of a chat about the different facets of that and what it it means to you. So I think I'm going to turn to you first, Leanne, and um, Putting on your, yay, your, your yay, I got it boys
2: right. Can learn. <laughs> the boys can learn. And just
0: just before we start, I am going to say my job tonight is mostly going to be not to say much and just listen as Lisa and Leanne explain it <laughs> nicely, and then just to try and avoid making too much of a fool of myself. But um, Leanne, can you put on your your, your best um, lectury and and tutorial voice and tell us about the the feminist <laughs> history of early childhood education and care in Australia? <laughs>
1: Well, I won't even have to try to make it exciting because it is very exciting. Um, (laughs) And we've had a lot of, um, there's been been a lot of, (laughs) there's been a lot of wonderful writing about this and I would highly commend uh, Deb Brennan's The Politics of Australian Childcare to everybody as their reader for this week. Anyway, I'll go on to explain a little bit about the strongly feminist history of early childhood education. And uh, I won't, I'll try not to take too long, even though it's a wonderful topic. So, uh, things began in 1890s in Europe, and uh, we saw, as a result of the suffragette movement, lots of women thinking that early childhood education would make the difference, very similarly to how we are seeing it today. And... The one big problem that they had in the 1900s was that early education cost too much. Does that sound familiar? Gee, funny that. <laughs> so, local authorities started to take on the, the role of delivering early childhood education. So, that's where we see it kind of moving into the more into the, the sphere of, of um, institutions, you know, actually providing it. But in Australia, it was the wonderful Maybach, Holm, and Frances Anderson who started the Kindergarten Union movement. And no surprises, it was an instrument of social reform. So this is where their strong feminist principles were, were coming out. They, they wanted to actually create um, betterment of humanity by providing early childhood education. And it was early childhood education um, because it was about, there were these three pillars. One was about setting forth kindergarten principles. Another was to get those principles into every school in New South Wales. This was the start of it. And then finally, open kindergartens in poor neighbourhoods. So it was strongly founded on early childhood education. We must never forget our early childhood education roots. Um, and look, as as the, the movement went on, we had... Um, the unions becoming involved in early childhood education because we had a war and uh, women were working on the war effort. And then when the war effort finished, it was time for the women to return to their homes because their duty was done. But, of course, women thought differently about that. And this is where unions got involved in early childhood education. Uppity
2: women. Uppity women.
1: Definitely, definitely. So they're they're the kind of feminist roots, but really what what it was was it was collective action around providing early childhood education because feminists saw this as the way to lift children and families out of poverty. Um, And it was strongly early childhood. It wasn't just uh, trying to provide a place for children to go when women were working. It really was about working from From the ground up with children and creating a strong um you know just a really strong movement for education and for the development of good citizenship and they noticed of course that there were reductions in crime rates and there were lots of great things um happening and really it was about creating a world worth living in so that was where this collective feminist action began and continues
2: today
0: well done those women
2: Fair enough (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's worth um, noticing that uh, so the, the kindergarten union is is KU as it is now, and also I know that um, SDN, who are based in Sydney, um, had a big hand in uh, some of those um, so some of that early history. And it's kind of amazing to think that in some shape or form, I think they're probably very different now than they were back then, but are still are still with us and are still working with children and young people, and still have educators doing that work today. Yeah, and which is I pretty think amazing. that
1: they they're very focused both of those organizations are very focused on inclusion um which is a very strong feminist principle and continue to work in in that area of inclusion so yes and and you're right sorry liam sdn didn't get didn't get a mention there but they springboarded off the the work of maybank and uh, francis
0: exactly good job to all of them um and I guess probably the next thing we want to then look at is, so obviously the, the, a lot has changed in the early childhood education sector since those early days and particularly since um, the that post-war period. And we're looking at, as we talked about a few episodes back at length, which is the the commercialization of, of, of care and the, um, the opening up of the private market to early childhood education and care. And I guess we wanted to ask why... Um, yeah, why is this a feminist issue as well as a sort of ethical and children's rights issue? And again, I'm going to sit back and listen while while you two explain it to me.
2: Okay. <clears throat> Do you want to go first, Leanne, or would you? Like- no, you
1: you go for it, and then I'll I'll jump in. Okay.
2: So look, basically, um, just like there's a history of feminist um, uh, involved in child care, there's also a history of private businesses in involvement in child care. And I'll just do this really rapidly so it doesn't bore anyone. But in 1972, when the Child Care Act came in, that was fought for pe- by people like Anne Summers and other people in the Whitlam era, um, it gave subsidies, but only to those going parents using non-profit child care centres. And then in 1991, Bob Hawke opened it up so that um, parents who were using for-profit centres could get access to subsidies. And then in 2001, up until 2008, that launched ABC Learning. We all know what happened there. And then subsequent to that, we've had the growth of G8, which is another big corporate, and one or two smaller corporates as well. And then in the last two years, 2015, 2016, we've seen a new move which is what firms that are private equity firms and private equity firms are basically big multinational companies that take the money of private investors and invest them in companies but not in, in on the stock exchange, not in publicly listed companies. They invest them in um, private companies. And so uh, that's, they've now taken over a lot of our corporates, like Only About Children, Or sorry, a lot of our large providers, uh, Only About Children, Guardian, and they delisted the corporate affinity and took that over as well. So that history of the commercialisation of care where we're getting more and more big money, and bigger money into the sector means that we've moved from publicly funded community-based care to um, commercial. And something that we know is that marketisation exacerbates issues of gender. So it does it in a few ways. The most um, important way is because marketisation leads to more expensive um, childcare. So for women who are trying to have jobs and stay in the workforce and get into the workforce, they're paying more for their care. Um, Lisa, earlier... Lisa,
1: can you can you explain the why marketization makes it more expensive? Because I think this is one thing that is not even understood by policymakers about <laughs> even though they do understand the market, because the there's still that rhetoric around, you know, if we don't control fees, so we don't have we so, but they're still
2: too high. So can you just give us a little two-minute? Yeah, I, can, on I that. can do it in in thirty seconds. One billion dollars was removed from the subsidy system as profit by large providers in the last twelve months. One billion dollars. So of the however many billion dollars that the government puts in. One billion of that was taken out as profit. And and can you tell us where that and profit's so, gone? So it's gone into the hands of shareholders and private owners, owners of companies. And in in the case of the private equity firms into investors from America and places like that. Is that Thank clear you. enough or? Well, I think, too, it's – yes, that's yeah. great. Thank you. Yep. That's great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, so 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 the marketisation of childcare means that childcare is more expensive for women, right? That's bad for feminism, right? Bad for women getting ahead in the world. The diversion of subsidies in that way to profit also keeps wages low. And I'll just give you my very well-researched-today figures. G8 which is our only which is our largest corporate provider we've got two corporate providers at the time made 80.3 million dollars profit last year and that'd be nice yeah personally I could do with that for a years' work. but the the um, the CEO of G8 got 1.15 million right He earned 1.15 million. Now, G8 oh, it's, it's, doesn't act-
0: it's, it's a blow, Lisa. I'm shocked.
2: Yeah. yeah, of course. Of course. But um, G8 also only spent 56% of their income on wages. Now, if you're running a community based service, you'd probably be spending about 80% of your income on wages so that there's lots of staff, so that stress levels aren't too high, so that children get a great quality education and care. But G8 manages to keep their expenditure on staff at 56%. Now I want you to think of that $1.15 million that the bloke got, compared that to the $20.67 that the CERT 3 educators get on on the award. In other words, a lot of G8's profits come from underpaid work of women. Right, and I'm picking on G8 here because they are publicly listed, but it's the same with a lot of these companies. G8's also got ten thousand employees, right? And in Australia, and they work in the long day care space. In Australia, there's only seventy five thousand long day care educators, right? So basically, it means that one in every seven educators that works in a long day care centre in Australia, one in every seven. Is employed by an organisation that has a male CEO. Yeah, okay, lots of us work for companies with male CEOs. What about if I told you that they only have one woman on their board? So out of their nine board members, I think it is, or eight board members, they've only got one woman. So a lot of men are making decisions about a lot of women. And that to me seems... a feminist issue. Um, The next issue was the the child care landlords. We've got two major child care landlords in Australia. One's called Reit, I've forgot their whole name, Arena Reit, and the other's called Folkestone. These guys, out of just leasing property to child care centres, made $130 million profit last six months of last year. And property is an interesting thing. The founder of Only About Child Care, Brendan Macassie, has just bought another property. I think his first one was worth $11 million and he just bought one worth about $17 million. So this guy's now got $28, $28 million worth of property. And when I'm saying property, I mean the houses that he lives in. He's bought two houses next to each other in an expensive suburb of Sydney. million. Where did that woman come? Where did that money come from? Again, I'd like to say that probably a lot of it came from women's labour. Have I shocked you enough yet or should I keep going? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um,
2: Okay. Women's right to paid work because of the marketisation of of childcare dominate Dominates over children's right to childcare. Now that's a complex one to break down. That's probably we um, don't have uh, enough, you know, enough time to go through that now. But you know, it, it just accept that it does. Um, also, it's the fact like I've been talking about the board of the G Eight. Markets are run by men. So in those two landlords, Arena Reed and Folkestone. And in the two corporates, Think and G8, there is only one woman on the board. It's a poor lone woman on the G8 board. So the other three have no women on their boards. And that <laughs> that's just, you know, like these people dominate childcare, you know. They dominate childcare because they rent huge numbers of child cares, or they provide near, like G8 alone provides eight percent of australia's child care, and it's all being decided by men so yeah you know um the final thing is that we know that relationships are what makes you know, great early education and care but educators who are working for those corporates and who are working for large for-profit providers recognize that increasingly their profession is being built upon manageability and accountability and not so much about those relationships and that caring. So that's also a feminist issue. And, and yes, oh, that was exhausting, Lisa. Sorry. <laughs> um,
1: but the, the point is that boards, you know, uh, where you have a board that is about a commercial Um, enterprise which these organizations are that you've discussed it's about making a profit that's there that is primarily the goal of um that that business and so capitalism and capitalism is a a gender issue isn't it because it's um because it, it does have a gender orientation it reinforces inequality that's basically what capitalism does and therefore, in order for um, that board to be successful, they have to actually keep ensuring that there is inequality. And
2: Absolutely.
1: that's just not a very good setup. But then we have the additional problem that we don't have enough publicly provided childcare and early childhood education which means if there were not those commercial enterprises, we wouldn't have enough um, places for children to go to. So, it's there's just a whole range of different issues there that relate to inequality and the perpetuation of that
2: inequality. Yeah, one of the other ones that, that kind of um, always occurs to me is that the big corporates kind of market a lot more to you know to um to the top stream of families you know the families that um you know come and get your child the best education they can get you know come to our services, and you know that kind of um, narrative then gets taken up by governments, that's when we hear things like the right families, you know. Michaela Cash said today, you know, we make no apology for the fact that our childcare um, package is for those that want to work, those that want to study, those that are prepared to volunteer, you know, because they're the right people, you know. And so wow. So you get, get, I didn't hear that, but you're obviously
1: being rewarded for being a right the right person.
2: Yeah, with childcare, with $30 a week cheaper childcare. A woman of but, caliber. You know, it, that kind of marketisation, that kind of marketing of this is good for, you know, for these sorts of children helps perpetuate, you know, the elites, it helps perpetuate that top, you know, rung of society.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think the other being just general point to think about with the the sector as a whole. So, the sector um, when it was initially set up was about, um, in large part, about trying to address the, as you said, Leanne, after you know World War Two, um, that women were sort of trying to be stopped from going to work. So it was a workforce participation initiative uh, initially. Um, we of course have, far, we now have alongside that the educational and social outcomes for children, but that's still an important component and. We know that the you know the the market commercial operate is not the best way to do that, and in fact, in many cases, is damaging. So, we're still not meeting that goal from nineteen you know the early nineteen fifties in twenty ten, and we're still creating these huge barriers for for women to close that gap in the in the in the to close the pay gap and and actually if they if they if they want to, you know, attend work that 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 absolutely that's a feminist issue because. Leaving these, leaving these kind of things in the hands of you know profit making, is of course not going to lead to good social outcomes. That just is blindingly obvious.
1: And and that that's right, Liam. And it's not like we haven't seen it successfully work in other countries where it's not about um, profit making and yeah, and it's you know we we've seen that in the the Scandinavian countries where there there is workforce participation where there is um, you know reasonable flexibility for women in, mm. in the workplace uh, well not just women but women and men whether they take it up or not is still a bit of a, a midpoint. and um, and then there is greater participation on, on boards in those countries so it's it's not like it's not even no. vaguely achievable. These things are achievable but it would require so much change and reform. In order for it to happen, reform that should have happened as a result of the twenty thirteen productivity inquiry.
0: <laughs> we keep coming back to it. So, thinking about you know, bringing this back to looking at you know the, the action taken by educators um, on Wednesday, where you know you know taking that symbolic action about going on strike and centres closing early. How does you know how does how does gender affect the lives of educators? You know, do educators going about their day to day? work you know what are the what are the 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 complexities and context of gender in the work that educators do
2: okay i'll tell you the really interesting one to me i discovered today that 76 percent of unpaid work in australia is done by women (laughs) so i'll tell you how gender affects educators by the time they get to work they're bloody tired (laughs) they've been doing double shifts of caring for children or for aged parents or for whoever they have to care for, they've been doing the washing, they've been doing that thing. Or as one of those articles in the paper pointed out, there was a, a childcare worker who went more in her second shift, which happened to be as a cleaner of the centre.
0: Yeah. So cool. she got
2: more as a cleaner than as an educator. Yeah.
0: We'll definitely well, include yeah, a link how,
2: to
1: that article. How many, how many educators do we know who have two jobs? We, There's so many educators who have two jobs that just to actually make enough money to get by and and there was a great article actually I'll add this into my recommendations or I'll add it into the so you can put it up Liam but it is it was a Huffington Post um, article and it was exactly about what you're saying Lisa is that it's not it's not about um, the, the biggest issue is the mix of responsibilities that that women have and therefore that that actually um, creates additional challenges for educators, and their lives are so, um, you know, they're so busy, as you say, in trying to get everything done in their multiple caring roles. And then added into this, the complexity of their work, the work that they um, undertake in as an educator, which goes beyond caring, and then only being paid twenty. Twenty dollars an hour for it, so it it's it again perpetuates this inequality.
0: Yeah, I think one of the things for me, and um, <clears throat> and I always say I'm, I'm I'm another caveat, as I said at the start, I'm going to uh, try and avoid saying anything too stupid from my you know the old white guy point of view. I'm always better at writing things, which means I can redraft. So if I say anything stupid, you can you can call me up on it. But I think one of the big issues with gender is is that the that notion of the the feminization of the work. So the work is care work and therefore it's devalued. So and there was a great yep. example of this from uh, I think twenty thirteen when there when the big steps was ramping up again and there was some, you know, foolish MP I think since Liz lost his seat, who said, Well, they're caring for children, they should just do it for the love of it. Why are they in it for the money? And that, you know, in 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 a single sentence from some boorish oaf of a bloody bloke Exactly highlights that the it, this isn't simply an issue in education and care. Although I think it is, I think education and care is the is the best example of it because the stats are so ridiculously um, insane. So it's it's ninety seven percent female. In no other sector in in Australia is that the case. And that what but because that work is seen as care, which is what women have traditionally done for free, there is this. I think. I've talked about this before. This underlying conservatism in Australia. So I think it challenges this notion in Australia, which we still can't get past—that women should just be at home with the kids. So it's this—it's a and triple whammy of yeah challenges. Of, yeah, of, of, of the work being undervalued, the, the women doing it being undervalued, and then the actual work itself being undervalued. It's just—it's this—it's this triple whammy we've got to undercover. And it all comes down to gender, of course, it does.
2: And it, and the role. Sorry, no, I, was I was just going to say it. It, it really just uh, no, I've lost my point. You go, Leanne.
1: I was <laughs> no, I was going to say that the role that it plays in the progress of of society is really underplayed, and the the opportunity that is that is there is is. It's definitely underplayed, and but it, it just it just keeps going around and around and around. Yeah, that was really what I was going to say.
0: And I think one thing that worries me is it's so insidious that it's so the the the, the, the devaluing is so, and that's why some of the stories coming out, you know, on that Wednesday is as uh, I I think, you know, it's very easy for people for for women to devalue the work they do as well, just because it's it's this you're you're surrounded by in the majority of cases other women who are you know working just as hard as you for just as poor pay in incredibly complex and physically and emotionally demanding jobs and it annoys and this is where I'll get on my high side when when the, the the very poorly planned and implemented early years quality fund when that was announced by labor Bill Shorten, who was the um, employment minister at the time, I think, said something to the effect of, "You know, we can't continue to rely on the physical and emotional work of these people, and obviously he means women, and not adequately remunerate for them." Now, nothing's happened since then, but this acknowledgement that the work is incredibly difficult and stressful, and I just think that, and we would all have examples of, you know, being where where it's you know the the workplace culture and environments are so poor, and I just think it's it, it what we are and I remember I when I first um started sort of writing about early childhood um 5 or 6 years ago um I just said there was this mad dichotomy in Australia where we are early you know one of the goals of early childhood education is is workforce participation and primarily for women so in order to get women back to work we've created a workforce underclass of women they just the yeah. the, 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 the the dichotomy and, blows and my and head
2: point how many people are you now hearing you know from businesses and etc who are saying that we should import over <laughs> from you know, third oh. world countries. So our class of our underclass of women are getting paid a bit too much. We're bored. We're bored of oppressing. We're bored of oppressing
0: puzzles. our own women. Can we bring in some others to do it? We're not, we've had enough yeah. of ours.
1: Yeah, and it is it oh. is about raising the the status, isn't it? And and the professionalism and the the opportunity to actually become a part of the sector. I, look, I don't even remember where I heard this in the last week, and Maybe I'm going to be embarrassed when I remember where it was. But um, someone was saying in Scandinavia, uh, in, in, in Sweden, for example, people fall back on a career in law if they can't get into teaching. <laughs> yeah, and I think that this is and, – and that's yeah. true. I think that the in order to be trained in early childhood in Finland, you have to have some huge, like, fantastic um, – you know mark in order. now I'm not saying marks are the most important thing but what it is is it's it's lifting up the status yeah. of being involved in this sector and you it's know, saying this is a worthy this is a worthy and important part of our our landscape and you do need to one be of the
2: reasons the best. it will never happen though is because of the misogyny of Australian men and because of the sexism of Australian men Whenever I write an article, no matter what it's about, there will always be some bloke that comments on it along the lines of my mother wasn't paid, my mother didn't have training, my mother whatever, harking back to the days of their childhood where a lot of women were in the home and saying, you know, like if it was good enough for them, why are you, you pushing that? children should be educated in public? Why are you pushing that childcare workers should be paid living wages? Why are you pushing that, you know, uh, that people need to be trained? So it's just that really strong, you know, sexism and we we Yeah, and, and, we've, digital, we've, yeah, yeah, and roles. We've, we've covered some of
1: that before too, haven't we, about, about the idea that the only role that, that a female has as soon as they are involved in a relationship that produces children, regardless of what that relationship is, is to then raise the next generation to be amazing.
0: For free. But you
2: know what, it actually happens. Like, Did you read the figures that came up today about how 56% of Australian women are in part-time work? Mm. So it's something like 90% of men are in full-time work but 56, so over half of Australian women are in part-time work to allow them to do that, you know, work that not even count. Well, in, in,
1: it. in a <laughs> sense, I, I, I know exactly what you're saying, Lisa, but in a sense, I, I think if that was by choice as a, in relation to, um, you know, like the full liberation of women... In terms of doing exactly in the in the fullness of their their, their in the fullness of realizing their full life potential, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and that was the case. Then obviously we would see more men in part-time work. Yeah. But it's actually the reasons why we're seeing those women in part-time work, which is the underlying inequality. Well, yeah. And
0: and there's fe- oh, yeah. There's a good there's oh, a good feminist oh, oh. argument that no one should be working full time.
2: Yeah, Yeah. but there's also, like, I'm always amazed when I talk to women how many women don't want to work full-time because they recognise that children need more time and attention than what they can give them if they're working full-time. I heard Jane Caro say something today which I thought was just so true. She said if, you know, if women were liberated, children would have more rights. And I thought, yeah, because we're the ones that are fighting primarily. Thanks, Liam, for your bit, but <laughs> primarily we're the ones that are fighting for children's rights. And one of the reasons why we can't do it is because we don't have enough power to well, do it from. Well, that might be. If, a, yeah. if there was fifty percent of men in parliament, of men in parliament, which would automatically give us fifty percent of, you know, other genders, including women. Then maybe children's rights would be more yeah
0: yeah, um. yeah upheld well let's use, let's use that as a bit of a segue because I think any any discussion about um, the early child education sector should should come down to children at the end which we've talked about in terms of our advocacy so I want us to, we want us to have a bit of a chat about how some of these issues and how society sort of interacts and deals with issues of, of gender um, how does that actually affect you know children in that birth to five space and um, you know, and I want to just kick things off by saying, and, and it, it, this sort of stuff is almost becoming a bit cliched, which worried. Right, I think in this very fast-paced world, I think we're very quick for good concepts to become first mocked and then sort of you know postmodernized and deconstructed to death. But for me, there's sort of no non-cheesy way to say this, but just that in that those first five years, given what we know about brain development, just the the, the basic importance of upholding um, what. Uh, girls and then young women and then women can do that they can be and do anything i mean it, it, I, I feel cheesy saying it but i think that but it, we actually shouldn't get too far away from that fundamental point that a lot of biases and a lot of prejudices are set really really early and that there are actors absolutely work, yeah there's actual and work if, we can if, do to 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 stop that or ameliorate it or, or push back against society and we shouldn't be ashamed of that because it is a bit it gets a bit sort of cheesy at times that's actually really important
2: absolutely I could not agree more because I think that also what happens is I think it's two things one is that sexism hurts girls and boys right it hurts them now as they're girls and boys it hurts the boy that you know wants to be a bit um less gendered in his roles as a boy And it hurts the girl that also, you know, wants to be a tomboy or, you know, wants to be more active. So it hurts them as they are now, but it also hurts them as they grow up. You know, we know that, for example, more women get killed by intimate partners than men do. You know, so it particularly hurts girls badly as they grow up. They can lose their life because of, you know, gender issues. But if children are brought up to believe that they're not equal then when they grow up, they'll reproduce produce those traditional gender stereotypes. They will live their lives not equal and they will bring up more children that are, are not equal. And this allows sexism and and, you know, in, and inequality of the genders to flourish. So it has to be stopped somewhere. What better place to stop it? than in the first five years of a child's life. So that children are brought up to believe that sex is equal. Children are brought up to believe that, you know, um, they shouldn't be limited by gender. And then they don't go on and reproduce those attitudes. Or they do reproduce the attitudes that they've been given instead. Yeah. keep feeling like I'm lecturing you too. <laughs> <you> can... <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I just couldn't agree more with that. And I think that there's some fantastic campaigns now that are running about, um, you know, young girls being empowered. And I think that a lot of um, educators are embracing those, well, so many educators are embracing those messages and incorporating that into their into their um work with children and it's just i think it's just in terms of that just pushing away, you know plugging away at it because i think it is a very powerful message about girls having influence and girls having strength and yeah and being who they are going to be in this big beautiful world
0: yeah
2: for
1: sure
0: yeah um, so I guess we should try and wrap up this topic by asking the uh, the, the key question, which is, um, you know, why should everybody working or engaged or in some way related to the early childhood sector, uh, why should they be a feminist? Is it important that, that 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 is something that should be be happening? Do we want to each have a have a have a go? Do you want to go first, Leanne? Um, yeah, I'd love to. I
1: think that this one is. The same question is, why should everybody working in the sector be an advocate? I think it's actually the same question. Um, And I think that it is really about children's rights. Uh, It's about um, women's rights in terms of uh, the status and standing of educators. So I I think if you're uh, speaking up, regardless of whether you're male or female, you need to actually put everything through a feminist lens and consider... Um, how our actions and how the stand that we take is either up, upholding the rights of women and children, or is perpetuating inequality. And I think that it's just a fundamental um, action and fundamental activity of everybody who works in the sector.
2: Here, here.
0: Yay! <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Lisa?
2: Uh look pretty much what she said, but um, I'd say that blokes should be um, in the sector, blokes that are working in the sector, because gender stereotypes also hurt them. Um, Liam, I take it you'll, you call yourself a feminist?
0: Uh, yes, I, will, I I would if I'm allowed to. You're allowed to. You're allowed to. Anybody's
2: allowed to be a feminist. Excellent, then yes. Um, (laughs) But mostly it's because of the reasons I said before, because we need to help girls and boys to grow up less defined by sexism and gender bias. But the other reason is because as part of educating children, we need to make the sexism and misogyny in the outside world visible because if we don't make it visible, if we don't actively... Talk about, you know, the things, you know, like having a female prime minister, having a male prime minister, you know, whether blokes are firemen, whether women are firemen. If we don't talk about that stuff, we're not making sexism indivisible. And you can only really talk about that stuff if you're a feminist. In other words, if you believe that both genders are, in fact, equal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, all I can pretty much do is echo um, both of what you said, and and in two particular areas. So, you know, if you're the 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 definition of feminism, as far as I generally understand it, is that you know, women women and girls are uh, equal to, if not probably better than men and boys. Um, And if you don't, we
2: don't
0: (laughs) demand that you go that far. If, but if, uh, and if you don't believe that. Then you shouldn't be an educator, full stop. You don't earn the right for me to to um to educate young children if you somehow believe that uh, the the male gender is better than the female gender, full stop. So if you if you educate young children, you you, you should be a feminist and you should call yourself so. And the other thing that I uh, that I think is really important about um, particularly you know the, um, the 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 strong feminists and feminism out there is that. It's not enough to just tinker around the edges of social reform and change. There's actually a pretty big call to to burn the entire thing down and start again, which actually I entirely <laughs> tend to agree with. I look at I look at where the Jobs for Families package is now, and you know with that big productivity commission review, which I think you might have heard of, Leanne once or twice. Um, but you know that even it, even that didn't go far enough. But suggested you know we need to make big changes to this stuff. And what do we get? This really stupid package that a will come. Oh. You know, just, just again tinkering around the edges. I I know. You before, and what? Oh. And what? What those wonderful feminists are saying out there is, no, I'm not going to accept, you know, a little bit of change, or I'm not even actually going to accept a lot of change. I, I won't stop until the entire system of our community is restructured. And and I could not agree more. Why why settle for what's not good enough? We, we, we let's yes. burn the place down and start again. Something
2: yeah, I agree. One of the things William. about the one one of the things about the productivity commission report was that the Productivity Commission was asked by the male Treasurer <laughs> to do a report You know, uh, under the agus uh, of the male Prime Minister. The Productivity Commission is headed by men. Yes, there was a female commissioner, but most of the people working on it were men. It was asked to look at it in the context of productivity, i.e. the things that are, are measured about making money in our society most of women's labour isn't in fact measured or counted yeah. in that way. And the fa- a fact that I always throw in in my talks about gender is that in the um, uh, in the Productivity Commission public hearings, although only 3.8% of the sector are blokes, 21% of the expert witnesses were men. <laughs> so yeah. we had men talking to men about men's stuff. And strangely <laughs> enough
0: children somehow it hasn't somehow it hasn't worked out what's gone wrong i don't understand yeah but i just think you know all those women throughout history from i'm sure before the suffragettes as well but even you know from from my knowledge from then on who were just told i know but we've made this amount of change and i can't you just accept this is good enough and they just go no no, we'll, we'll 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 be happy when everything's overturned, and they just and they said no, we won't be happy till it's good enough, and that's a you know just a, an incredibly important thing in terms of this you know the ongoing battle for gender equality, but for advocates in the sector as well, and there are people out there saying this jobs for families package, well at least it does a little bit, and well it's better than nothing. I'm sick of being told that that's that that's good enough it's not and i'm we'll, yes. i think all three of us will keep saying it until it is and exactly the same with these yes, issues around exactly. gender
1: exactly and until until we get this bright new day i'm gonna work like maybank wallston Hall, and francis <laughs> anderson <laughs> For the betterment of humanity and for good citizenship for children.
0: <laughs> Excellent. All right.
1: I feel like we need a barricade. The barricade?
0: <laughs> Is there anything I can chain myself to? I'm having a look around. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you both for, for going through that. Well, the
1: International? Uh, with... Can we have that?
0: We could. We could. We could do. We, you, you can do whatever you want. I am in no position to stop either of you doing anything today. But um. We, yes. If you, if, as, as usual, if you've got views, please get in touch. We will now head to our recommendations for the week, and uh, of, of course, Leanne and Lisa, you're going to go first. But Leanne, do you want do you want do you want to kick us off?
1: Uh, I, I waited a while to get my recommendation because I knew that there was going to be some gold today. And, I, <laughs> and it's uh, the conversation article. I wasn't going
0: to point that out. I was going to leave Leanne alone this week, Lisa.
1: But the point about this is that I didn't get it straight from the conversation. I got it from Catherine Hayden. Thank you very much, Catherine, who put it up on Facebook today um, and raised the question about is this going to be a problem in, or is this a problem in early childhood? which I think it is. This is about um, unconscious bias keeping women out of senior roles because this isn't talking about early childhood, but it is talking about how people are hired in leadership roles because there's an unconscious bias where people actually hire people who are like them. And our senior leaders in this sector are pretty much, as Liz pointed out, hired by boards that are predominantly male Um, And uh, this is a problem. I I want early childhood educators in their career paths to see themselves in senior leadership roles. I don't want them to see the people who are, and I'm talking about the 97% of women. Hmm. I don't want them to see that they can't have those jobs because they are not the right gender. Because that's the example that is shown to them, um, and so this one really struck a chord with me about senior leadership and how we need to make some changes there, and and see that there are um, women in leadership roles in our sector. More women, sorry, there are there are some great women in leadership roles in our sector, and I'd just like to see more.
0: Yeah, heaven forbid. The only thing—the fantastic article, um, Leanne, I'm just looking through it again. The only thing that bugs me with this stuff is the term. It's always bugged me is unconscious bias because I think it, in, in, it, 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 it. I think it's a diplomatic term that's been developed to say, "Well, oh, it's not really your fault," and blah blah blah. Well, it, and it suggests that nothing can be done about it. I actually think it's yeah. it, it's a bias and it needs to be pointed out and, and figured out. I don't think it's that. I actually don't think it's that unconscious. Yeah, yeah that'd be because senior leadership right. levels. Yeah.
1: And we're, we, if you're at that level and you're employing people, you need to have intention rather yeah. than unconscious. Yep. Absolutely.
0: Point. All right, Lisa, what have you offer us? us?
2: Um, what I've got for us, I'm not going to talk about it at length, but um, it's a very good article. If I can just find it, of course. I'm going to click. Where is it? It's about privatisation, and basically it's about um, a... a a group of people that set up the People's Privatisation Inquiry and they've gone around um, Australia, you know, inquiring about the effect of privatisation on um, people's lives. And it just goes through, you know, um, how the privatisation of disability services are um being affected, affecting people and people's lives? How the privatisation of health and aged care and childcare and electricity and um etc cetera, etc, cetera. and basically no surprises. It comes up with privatisation isn't good for people.
0: <laughs> Do we need any more evidence? Yeah, this is a really <laughs> this is a really good article actually. You weren't the only one to point this in my direction this week, Lisa, because it was so good. But um mm. definitely worth a read.
2: And I just got – why I couldn't find it when I started talking is I got sidetracked because there's one there called How to Win a Feminist Battle. Six activists shared their secrets. Oh. And the first person of those six ad, ad, uh, activists is Lima Gabow, We I'm never sure how to pronounce her name. Remember we saw her a few years ago talking, Leanne?
1: Yes.
2: Yeah. yes. Yes. Liberia. I remember. Him. She was
1: really oh, amazing. Right. Sorry. Yeah. I, was, I. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she was incredible.
2: Yeah. She was so, amazing. if you click on the article at the end of my article, once you go into the Guardian <laughs> website, it's about um how women, you know, have won battles, and she did it amazingly. Like oh, they basically, incredible. she led the women of um, Liberia to tell the men, "We're not going to be part of your wars anymore. Like you've got to stop." You know having wars and they did <laughs> and, and, she,
1: and she led fantastic um, sort of stop works for the for the women didn't she and they, yeah. they stopped they stopped work effectively so they stopped cooking they stopped doing all of those things she wrote a fantastic book too so that's probably in there yeah. as well
0: yay. All right. Well, I'm going to throw my male weight around, and I've cheated and done two recommendations. But it seems like a bad. I picked a bad week to do this one. Sorry, everyone. But the first one's serious. <laughs> the second one's not so serious. And I'm actually slightly worried that people might not find it that funny on today of all days. But I, I think it's a. I think it's a goodie. Um, the first one is I, I've. One of the I think issues in 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 um you know creating more feminists particularly amongst men, is this view that um for men who. Uh, who are struggling themselves, whether it's through poverty or or whatever, they when it's put to them as a, sim, a simple, you know, women are tra- uh, you know women are treated far worse than men um, globally. They they don't see it because it's a personal point of view. Um, this is uh, this is what this is about five years old. This article, so it's not exactly an up to date recommendation, but it's by the author John Scalzi, who is um, you know he writes a, some great sci fi books that I love. But it's sorry, if you don't like sci fi, don't have to read his books. But he uh, with sci fi being a very sort of, um, or at least dominated by vocal men in the field who like to comment whenever there's sort of social justice stuff creeping in, and he writes, and John writes very social justice focused uh, science fiction. Um, he wrote this thing to explain to men um, what. Uh, a way of thinking about privilege um, and it's called um, Straight White Male, The Lowest Difficulty Setting There Is and he puts it in a, as, in a metaphor as um, as a video game so I'm not a great video gamer but what you can do is when you, when you start most games you can choose your degree of difficulty so it can be sort of beginner or intermediate or advanced um, and what he's saying is that for straight white men particularly it, it's like going through life on the lowest difficulty setting there is so you still have the same, uh, potentially the same challenges, the same roadblocks, the same things in front of you, but it's just far easier for you to, to overcome them. Whereas someone who's, um, you know, a, a woman or someone who's, uh, you know, black or, um, you know, a Muslim has additional challenges to get over. And it's just, it, it I've, I've used it a lot in the past. It's a really great way to, it's a fantastic metaphor for the way to think about um, privilege. And, you know, if there are people out there, you know, who don't get this stuff, I would really recommend sending this, this one to them. Um, and then the other one, because this is 10 years old, this is even older, but this is one of my favourite articles of all time from The Onion. So if you know The Onion, um, you know it's not necessarily the, uh, the hard news. But um, I'll just I'll just read the headline and probably just one paragraph because I, I love this one. It's called, um, Man Finally Put in Charge of Struggling Feminist Movement. Um, and then uh, I'll just read one paragraph from it, which um, uh, I'm going to go with... Um, all the feminist movement needed to do was bring on someone who had the balls to do something about this glass ceiling business, said McGowan, who quickly closed the 23, 23.5% gender wage gap by making a few calls to the big boys upstairs. In the world of gender identity and empowered female sexuality, it's all about who you know. Uh, I... I, I it, this article somehow manages to walk the tightrope of being funny while skewering um, the the insanity of, of how men are positioned, particularly in senior leadership positions. It's I I, I love it. I've, it's ten years old, but I come back to it pretty regularly.
2: It's funny. I used to love it until um, a certain prime minister <sighs> made himself minister for, for women. <laughs> That's it, right. <laughs> it just, it just it's just just not
0: quite it. as funny anymore. After that, oh, yeah. yeah dear. Oh dear. So um that's it. So enjoy those readings for, for, for this week and um we uh we will of course be having some more things to, to shoot your way next week. But we'll begin to wrap up. So we will wrap up as we always do with a couple of shout outs. We'd like to thank um this week Kate Andrews who left a lovely rating and review on our on our iTunes page. Um and apparently we keep her sane during her commute with informative news and laughs, hopefully in about equal measure. Does
2: that mean she's laughing at us?
0: I, I, it must us. be. I don't think we're that funny, but I think uh, probably just yeah, at our mistakes. I think, mm-hmm.
1: I think she's geographically outed herself. She must live in Sydney. <laughs> That's
0: right. you. If it's that, yeah, it's right. The traffic only be that ex- bad if you Kate, have to to us. Kate, much appreciated.
1: As an ex uh, gridlock driver <laughs> in Sydney, I, I take my hat off to you. I um, it.
0: So if uh, if um, if you'd like to get a shout out on the podcast as well, leaving a rating review uh, is fantastic for us because it means that, as well as uh, puffing up our own egos, which is vitally important as well, uh, it means that the rankings on iTunes work in some sort of weird uh, widgety something way, which means we get bumped up the rankings and more people can find the show. Which um, and of course we want more people to find the show. Who wouldn't want to listen to us? Um, the other way you can support the show if um, you have a you know a, a bit of loose change lying around is you can actually fund the show directly you can pay for this rambling nonsense we do each week if you head to patreon.com forward slash early edu show you can donate as little as one dollar a month to um, help us keep this 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 uh, show on the road and hopefully do some more fun things down the road Um, i should do which i haven't been doing is just thanking those who have already supported us we've always we've been a bit blown away by some of the support that's already um come out for us and people who are enjoying the show. We, we are, in, in all seriousness, insanely grateful and slightly actually probably embarrassed that anyone would um, <laughs> would pay for this. But um, we're, <laughs> we're, 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 we are incredibly grateful, and it means that um, we should be able to do some fun stuff, which we can hopefully announce in the coming months um, later on in the year. Um, you can If you don't want to do either of those things but just want to either yell at us or be nice to us, you can send us an email at um, earlyedushow at gmail.com. You can also find the show on Twitter, and Facebook at Early Edu Show on both of those social media channels. Um, You can also uh, have a chat with us individually on Twitter. You can find me at Liam McNicholas.
2: Me at Lisa J. Bryant. And by the way, Leanne, I've just Googled, and Kate Andrews is the coordinator of Kempsey Family Daycare.
0: Oh, thanks, Kate.
2: Oh, right. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry.
1: Sorry. I was thinking... Okay. <laughs> oh, Kempi. Oh, maybe maybe she drives from out in the the um, uh, the regional areas. So yeah. Hey, hats off to you for driving in the regional areas.
0: <laughs>
1: and I think I'm supposed to get my um Twitter name wrong, but I'm going to get it right tonight, and it's going to be the Anne M Gibbs three. No, that was wrong. No, that no, was right. That was no, right. that was right. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs>
0: One day, one day. This will go ah. smoothly, one day. Um, but until next week, um, we, we, we set it a shout out on our Twitter page on Wednesday, but happy International Women's Day uh, to all women, but particularly to those hardworking early childhood educators, professionals, <laughs> teachers, uh, you know, and practitioners out there doing that incredibly vital work. Um, we, yes. we, we, uh, we absolutely take our hats off to you. But until next week, it's bye from me
2: and for me and for me